Okay, so I talked about the movie, this movie, The Legend of King Solomon. It's a cartoon movie, and I stumbled across it because I wanted to learn more about King Solomon because God had already told me that I remind him of him. And he's given me the spirit of wisdom and discernment that he's get just like he's given King Solomon. Well, he's given me wisdom. I call it the spirit of wisdom and discernment because when God gives you things, it's spirits. And, you know, it's only to borrow. So if you have to give it back, you know, it's better to call it the spirit, uh, just like what it is, even though also because I was introduced to the spirit. So I know that it's an actual angel. But also at the same time, you don't want to get too full of yourself, vain, prideful, and arrogant. Start to believe like this is mine. God has given this to me and it's who I am. You know, God defines you. You find your identity in God and the spirit of wisdom and discernment, you know, it's only to borrow. So I like to call it what it is so I can stay grounded and because that's what it is and because it also gives you a better idea on how there's different spirits for everything, everything out here. And Satan used spirits too. He used, obviously, uh, destructive spirits. And when Satan uses these spirits... When Satan uses these destructive spirits, you know, pride, they come in like the spirit of pride, the spirit of vanity, the spirit of arrogance. You know, a lot of people like to believe, you know, that they like to start taking credit for themselves. They like to say, you know, I'm powerful. I have power or, you know, I am I'm look I'm I'm charming and I'm really good looking. I'm a really good liar. You know, people like to take credit for themselves, but that's the spirit of deception. These are spirits. And just as well as he's giving it to you, he can take it away. You know, what the Lord gives, the Lord can take away. So we're going to give all the power and credit and glory to God. Because oftentimes Satan gives you a spirit, he's not going to take it from you. Unless, of course, you become dependent on his spirit and he can torture you by taking it from you. So... As far as the spirits, you know, something else I noticed in the process of this is that there is so many different similarities on both sides. And that's something I had to be very, be very careful about what I've been learning about lately and honestly been waiting on another word about. Because, you know, oftentimes when you see the different things like, you know, the spirits on both sides, you like, like some people will say that's witchcraft, you know, to say you have, you are possessed with the spirit, but God can possess you with the spirit, you know, and to say like, it's witchcraft for you to, you know, just different, different things that you go about doing in order to call on God or, or to, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can do it with nothing. But oftentimes, a lot of different, a lot of the things are going to be similar. It's on both ends. It's just about intent and purpose. Move with intent and purpose. When you are, when you are, and this is something I'm learning. When you are focused on something, when you are intentionally choosing something, it doesn't matter 
what goes on around you. It doesn't matter what people are saying, even though it does. It doesn't matter what people are saying, what's going on around you or what's happening or what Satan says. What you intend to do is what is going to happen because God knows your heart. So you could be doing the wrong thing and your intent is good. Your intent is you mean well. God's going to know your heart. You know, that's that's like honestly a good example of that in my life right now is the judge. You know, even though he possibly did not, you know, respect God. He possibly did not even have fear of God. He knew who God was, but he didn't give God the credit or he doesn't give God the credit. And so, you know, he did, he does things his way. He takes all the credit and believes that it's because of his own hard work and, you know, dedication to whatever he, you know, position he wanted to eventually end up in is what got him there. He doesn't want to give God the credit. He doesn't want to repent to God. He doesn't want to, I want to speak on whether he wants to repent or not. That's still in question, but he, you know, he didn't want to bow to God. And the fact of the matter is, is that, excuse me, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, God still saw his heart. Even though he's one third of the, you know, judges, he remains while two third have two third of these judges have been knocked off and judged. And their judgment is hellfire. They don't have a chance for repentance. They've done what they've done. And it sounds messed up. But that's what happens, you know, when you're headed for destruction. It's not that they couldn't possibly repent. It's not that they couldn't possibly turn around and change their hearts and become who they're destined to be. Or, excuse me, change their destinies in God by choosing him. It's just that they won't. God knows their heart. He knows that they don't they don't plan on changing. I've had multiple conversations with them. They said, no, I don't agree with that. I don't respect God. I don't care. I don't have to. And, you know, I would act like it, but I would never do it for real. I would never be serious about it. And they just don't respect God. They have no fear of God. So they've been judged. This judge, you know, has a portion of his heart that was wanting to remain fair throughout the process. But these just two thirds of these judges were overbearing and controlling. So he still has an opportunity for repentance. I've said this many different times. My advice is always to take that opportunity. Even if you have a chance at heaven, it's worth it. Every single day dying for Christ daily is worth it. Because there's people who don't have a chance and they wish that they had the opportunity that you had. There's people who are taking this really seriously, except they aren't in a position to actually change their fate like you are. So take that, you know, seriously, take these things into account and, you know, have fear of God, acknowledge him, love him, appreciate him, because no one deserves to suffer. No one deserves to suffer in hell for the rest of eternity. So another thing that I was thinking was like, I had been telling myself this and I hope that I'm not lying to myself, but I don't think that God places on my heart for no reason. When I was younger, I would, I would just be so weighed down. I would be so 
sad and heavy hearted every time I thought about the fact that people go to hell for the rest of eternity and suffer because I believe God. I believe in hell. I believe in heaven. I believe in this. And I was sad and I say, God, you know, you say it hurts you 10 times more than it hurts them. So I know you're hurting so bad when you see someone who's never coming out and you just love them so much. And yes, he's God. He can handle it. But it's a simple fact. Like, don't you ever like after 100 years, maybe want to pull someone out? You know, or would you ever consider pulling someone out of hell and giving them another chance? After you feel that the suffering is done, would you consider these things? And God would say to me, you know, that's difficult. I think that he said that that was difficult at the time. Not for him, but for me to understand that people who go to hell are headed for destruction. He does not make a mistake. He is perfect in all of his judgments. If he sends you to hell, you're not, you're not going to, he's determined that you cannot change. But because I just had such a heavy heart about this for so many years, I feel that God, and I don't want to lie or jump to conclusions, I feel that God, you know, may have possibly, you know, got my hopes up in a way a little bit, motivated me to believing. He never said it, quite said it, but. He will put it on my heart a lot, and I know that he put it on my heart. He he maybe put he put it on my heart maybe maybe in a way maybe insinuating that he may want to pull some people out of hell, and I hadn't thought about this for a long time because I just I just forgot I even forgot at five years old when he asked me what was my dream I said I want to go to heaven that's my biggest dream in the world like everything else I can accomplish in this world everything else I can have but it only be for a short while the biggest and best dream you could ever have is to go to heaven for eternity because you that's just you win forever you win forever so all I know is you know God reminded me that I said that when I was five or maybe like six or seven maybe five is you know I was probably like I was probably like six or seven, and I was like, "This has to be God." When He reminded me, I knew it was God. I knew it was Him, because I'm like, I never told nobody about that encounter with you, not a soul. I've told people I was a demon hunter, even though people have come to me and said you're a demon hunter, and I'm like, "I how do you know that? You have to know God to know that." But it's like, or you have to know God is real to know that. And I've said, you know, I think I've even told people about when I was around like six or seven and God revealed to me that I was was a natural born actor, that I was born to be an actor. And if I were in better circumstances, I possibly could have been put in acting classes and would have had such a better future. But... Everything happens for a reason. And, you know, if the rapture is soon and I don't get to test out these different spiritual gifts that God has given me in this world, which is still a possibility because God says that he's going to give me wisdom and discernment and everything else I didn't ask for. That's in my heart, like fame and fortune and, you know, attention and power and all that other stuff because I asked for wisdom. 
And so acting may still be in my future, but even if not so, I realized that I have to use acting a lot in the process of fighting for people's souls in these last days for the rapture. So if that's the only opportunity I got to use my gift for, I'm glad it was used for the one thing that I asked to be my biggest dream. My biggest dream wasn't to be an actor, even though it came naturally to me and I love it. My biggest dream wasn't to be a singer, even though I love singing. My biggest dream wasn't to be a writer, even though I love writing or a designer, even though I love designing. Or even a hairstylist, even though I love, you know, being a hairstylist, my biggest dream was to go to heaven. And I couldn't believe I would ever forget that because I almost, for so many years, I couldn't, I wouldn't have. So when God reminded me, I know everything happens for a reason. It's because it's time. He told me it's time and he started to predict my future. And the Bible says only God knows the future. What's difficult about this is that sometimes Satan or demonic spirits come around and they speak or you know, speak of or acknowledge your future. I've read somewhere that they listen in on conversations with God. In the Bible, there's scripture that supports that God calls all spirits, good and bad, into the heavenly realms around him. He presents a task or an individual whom he is, you know, concerned for. And these spirits present ideas on how to get whatever it is that God needs done, done. And if he likes the idea, he accepts that idea. And these spirits go off and do whatever it is that will get the job done in order to get you where you are destined to be in God. He's in control of everything. So, for example, in my situation, a spirit was placed on me. You know, to watch me and to torture me and to torment me and to get me to to commit suicide and also to keep me from my destiny. But it did nothing but push me right into it. This spirit, you know, was placed on me to get me to blurt out all the secrets, every single secret and every single bad thing I ever did in my life. But in my Bible, I, I had written five, six years before, you know, my you know, I I pray for the ability to one day be able to admit every single thing that I've ever done to anybody to their faces and reap the consequences of what I've, you know, done. And reap the consequences of what I've sown. And God was saying to me for years, you have to do this. You need to do this. This is necessary for you to do. You have to tell everybody everything you've done. It's in the Bible. Scripture supports it. I believe it's in Corinthians. But I will find these scriptures and I will link them. But it's in the Bible. You have to tell everybody everything you've done. You have to admit what you've done wrong. You know, everything you've ever done wrong, you have to and apologize and actually show remorse for what you've done and want to change and then move forward with your life and whatever consequences come with that you accept that because that is you know accepting you know consequences for what you've done clearly accepting the sin acknowledging it and so you can move forward and forgive be forgiven so that you can be forgiven and forgive to be forgiven after consequences possibly or whatever god told me this for so many years and i my secrets were just to me so horrible i felt like 
like I'm just the worst person ever, you know, the things I've done to people behind their backs, like steal from them and, you know, possibly place them in harm's way, even if not intentionally, but sometimes intentionally. The things that I had done was just to me so horrible. And I just like when I thought about, you know, telling the people around me what it is that I had done. I would just get so emotional about it because I would say, like, they will never look at me the same. And I felt I needed to harbor these secrets. And God would tell me, like, harboring these secrets are hurting you more than letting it go. It's not that bad. Trust me, it's not that bad. And I would not ever believe him because I would say, God, you're going to say it's not that bad because you want me to tell them what I did. But I feel like they're going to react harshly. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want, I wasn't afraid of what they would do, per se. But I was just afraid of them looking at me differently forever and never trusting me again and always looking at me as that kind of person, you know, behind a mistake that I made when I knew that my heart, you know, meant well. So I didn't want to tell people when I feel like they were people can be judgmental and, you know, people can be harsh. So I didn't want to tell them. I said, I'll just tell God. And since God knows, I'll admit it to him and he knows my heart and I trust him you know, with this information. I trust him to never look at me differently. I trust him to love me despite all of my mistakes and all of my flaws. So that'll be enough. But God had been urging me, you have to, you have to tell them this is very important. And I was like, I know this is important because God keeps telling me this. He keeps placing this on my heart and he's made his business. So one day God got me up and he got me in church. And when I went to church, I would go to church by myself. I had to, and I went to church by myself. Because growing up, I always used to ask people to take me to church. First of all, we first started off in a church and we was baptized. We went there for a few years. Our whole family went to the same church. And it was the most beautiful years of my entire life, honestly. I think that our whole entire family was so blessed because we would never miss a Sunday at church. But we just stopped going. And the family just seemed like it got ripped apart and torn apart. And, like, it was just always drama from that moment on it's it's a clear effect on your family on your life when you miss church when you get away from when you start off in God and you're baptized and then you come away from God it's a clear effect it's almost as if Satan curses you the second you walk away from that church and I believe that's what happened to us things would just get worse and worse and worse my dad had a really good job he lost everything and then he got an injury and then he was on drugs And then we were suffering and struggling and starving when we were just doing so well when we was going to church. It was a clear difference. The days were sunnier. You could see the sun. You could see God's shining sun down on that church. Every Sunday was just so bright and beautiful. But when we left that church and we stopped going for years, you know, that, you know, that church just started to eventually empty out. Nobody went. And it's, it's like all of a sudden it's in a dark, shady place and all kinds of things. And like, I feel like these things matter. It's a clear difference. It's a clear indication of God, you know, and his presence in your life and why it matters so much. So in this process, one of the biggest things for me has been doing everything in my in, I possibly can to, you know, incorporate God and in younger you know, in the younger children's lives and children's lives. 
they need to get them in their life now. And if I can do, if I, if I, if it's possible for me, I will do everything in my power to keep God in their lives for the rest of their lives. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're older, they shall not depart from it. Because even though we left church, my whole life I still yearn to be there. So even if you can just start them off in church, that's the best thing you can do. That's the best move to make. So I would always ask, you know, mom, dad, take me to take me to church, take me to church. My mom didn't really want to go. She never really was a church person. And my dad, he just, you know, he stopped taking us. He was tired. He was, you know, worn out, injuries, etc. My aunt, she promised to take me, but she just wanted, you know, remember to come and actually get me. And then it just felt like Bibles just start disappearing from the house. But the Bibles that we did have, you know, it was all torn up and ripped up. So, like, I always felt like drawn to the Bible. I wanted to learn it. I wanted to know it better. I wanted to read it. I wanted someone to go to church with me every Sunday. I would ask different people. Nobody wanted to go with me because nobody, I feel like, took it as serious. I love church. I wanted to be about be around God. I want to learn about him. So when I was younger, I used to ask him all the time, God, please help me understand this Bible. He says, he would say, keep reading. You do understand it. And I say, no, I don't. I do not understand nothing in these in this Bible. I will not. I do not understand none of these scriptures or nothing. For years, I couldn't understand it. I got frustrated. But one day, he came to me, and he showed me my future. And he said, one day you can be, you can truly be the woman of God that, I you know that is my will for your life that you are destined to be. And he said that all it takes for you is to choose it and nothing else. All it takes for you is to make a decision to want to be that for the rest of your life. Do you think that you could do that? And I said, yeah, I think that I would I think that I would be able to choose you and nothing else for the rest of my life. I do because I saw the future and I just thought to myself. Now, I, I might be a perfectionist, but I've always wanted to know what I was reading in this Bible know all of the truth in it, every word, all the scripture, and do everything how I'm supposed to do it, all of it, because I just didn't understand it. For one, oftentimes they're referring to men, and it feels like they're very hardly referring to women, so it feels like it's a big gap in my understanding of what women are really, you know, how much of the law and the Bible and the truth that we actually have to abide by. And if it's only just what actually pertains to a woman, to a woman, because I've always been told growing up, the Bible is literal. What you see is what you get. You don't change anything in it. But people always tell me, well, when it says man, you can apply that to woman. But that's not necessarily true. Well, I don't say it's not true. I would just say, you know, it's not too confusing because when they specifically don't want a woman doing something that a man is doing, it feels that the Bible is clear about that. But also it just feels like if they can say woman when they mean woman, then why wouldn't they say woman when they mean woman? You know, why would they say man when they mean woman? Excuse me. So I always wondered about that part. And, you know, I wondered like, I wonder, like, why?
you know, why most, why a lot of people in the world and why most people weren't living by the Bible and doing everything that the word says and being a hundred percent obedient to God. Like I didn't have a lot of good examples around me, but I feel like I never see a hundred percent example of the Bible. So it made me feel like, do you have to even be a hundred percent for God? Does he require that from you? I know the Bible says forgiveness and he will forgive you. And Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. But like, is it okay to relax when you're capable of being a hundred, doing a hundred percent of what God asks you to do? And that's just always something I wondered. And then I wondered about how hard it may be and to get maybe to get in heaven because everybody in heaven always just seems so good and perfect, and like they just been saints their whole life. Like there's people who, you know, slept on the streets their whole life and still made time to serve other people and feed other people and take care of other people, and. Never did nothing for themselves. Always just lived a 100% selfless life. And it seemed like these are the only people who go to heaven or the people who grew up in church from start to finish. Never missed a Sunday. Was fully dedicated to God. Never broke any of the commandments. And though they may have sinned, they were just 100% dedicated to God. People who lived in the church. People who would just be in a church from Sunday through Saturday. People pastors, pastors, children who who raise children in church, all these different individuals, I would always say to myself, like, how can I stand a chance, you know, at going to heaven when the Bible says in the end of the Bible, Revelation says there's only 144,000 spots. And I say out of 7 billion people, how do I stand a chance at getting one of those spots with people who grew up in church their whole life or people who are just saints like that? And God just, you know, introduced to me that it's possible I just have to want it that's when I was younger before I had you know really sinned but well not before I sinned but before I became who I, who I am today but then you know later on he you know show, showed me and revealed to me that a lot of people who go to church their whole lives in our church from Monday through Sun, Sunday through Saturday know the whole Bible from front to back, can, you know, quote scripture at all times, just on point with everything. They are hypocrites. They don't actually have a real relationship with God. They are just doing it for show. And that didn't make any sense to me because I said, you can know the whole Bible front to back, always be reading it, be in church from Sunday through Saturday. Your whole life is focused around God, but you don't mean it. You're doing it for show. What about when nobody's around and nobody's looking and you're still reading it? Is that still for show? It just didn't make sense. But God said, yes, this is true. And you'll see. But this is why you have such a good chance. Because you mean it with your heart. You're intentional. And you really want to be a better person. You really apply my word to your heart. And so that's what gives you a much better chance than a lot of other people. And plus, I believe the spirit of humility plays a big part in that, too, because you can't think you're just so much. The Bible says that Jesus told a parable about a saint and a sinner, a saint and a tax collector. The saint came in and said, God, I know I'm good, but this tax collector, I know he's going to hell. But the tax collector came in there and said, God, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I repent. And Jesus said, who do you think is getting into heaven? 
who do you think is going to hell? He said, verily, I tell you, for sure, that tax collector is the one that will be going. That saying is going to hell. You have to have a spirit of humility. No matter how good you think you are, you have to understand you are filthy compared to Jesus. Because each and every single last one of us have made a mistake and none of us are perfect. None of us are in a position to judge. Jesus is the only one who's ever been in a position to judge and he doesn't. So oftentimes we mistake ourselves by feeling like I'm not that bad. I'm, I can't be as bad as that person. I know I'm better than them. And that's just like the worst attitude to have. So, you know, I'm oftentimes trying to check this and be, you know, vigilant about it because it sometimes catch you off guard, just like the idleness and the lukewarmness and the doing it for show. Sometimes it just starts to catch you off guard. You just stop meaning it with your heart. You're there, but you're not there. And I see how Satan is attacking us. It's not always just because you're a lazy Christian. It can be because you are battling and facing a bunch of different spirits that are, you know, conquering you. But you cannot let them be stronger. You cannot let them win. So this is what I'm facing. I'm realizing on a whole different level now. God would tell me that too. I would say, God, people always talk about, you know, being tested and not having more than you never giving them more than what they can handle. And they just always sound so, you know, I'm just waiting and. You know, God is going to bless me, I know, but it always feel like it's, you know, I get the, the word that God is going to bless me and I'm right before my breakthrough, but it just never comes. And it's just every day, every day I'm waiting on that breakthrough. And it feels like I don't ever get my breakthrough. And I just used to feel like, you know, I, I always used to be wanting, you know, God to answer my prayers for years, but I feel so blessed to not be every single day dreading my breakthrough. You know, I used to feel so blessed about that because, like, everybody talked about it. I was like, either it's something I'm going to have to experience in my lifetime or it's something that God has kept me from. And I'm just, I just feel so blessed. But God was showing me and telling me that you don't understand that, but you will. You haven't yet experienced anything heavy or big or really testing in your faith in order for you to need that breakthrough every day like that and be praying to God and depending on him like that and you know you know needing to trust his word when he says he will not give you more than what you can handle and I knew God was telling the truth and then I would look at my past and look at the things I've gone through and I would think like what would I have to be going through in order for me to feel that way but I always wanted to know I wanted to know what hell felt like and I don't know why I wanted to know these things but I did I just wanted to know because I wanted to be warned. I wanted to, you know, understand what why it's necessary to abide by every word in that Bible. Why it's necessary to understand that God is the truth and choose him all the time. Why it's necessary to be intentional about my life. I wanted to understand that in my heart truly, 100%. But, you know... God, you know, he didn't really give me much more than you will understand. You you will understand. It will come a time when you understand. Embrace the time that you win. These years go by so fast. You'll wish you had the time back. God's been telling me this my whole life. Make me feel like I'm so fast. But I feel like time goes by so slow. 
But I'm looking back at the years and he's always right. They fly. I feel that I was wishing to be 18 for like eight, 18 years, but it had to only be like four years that I was actually wishing it. But it felt like for so long. But but eventually, you know, I just started to take heed. When God said take heed, I started to realize he's always right. He's never wrong. And I truly believe in him. I have reason to believe in him. There's been days I felt I was going to die. I was starving as a child and I would sleep it off. I tried to sleep it off and I just swore I was going to die in that bed. I possibly hadn't ate in like two or three days. And sometimes it probably would have been a week. You know, it was, it, we went a while without eating for a while. And I just laid in the bed and felt like I was going to die as a child. But people would just come wake me up with food. My brothers and sisters or my parents would just out the blue come wake me up with food and feed me when I swear I probably could have died in my sleep. Looking back, I just knew God was real because if not them for them feeding me right when they did, I possibly was going to die in my sleep. I didn't have energy to get up and go eat. I didn't, we didn't have any food. So these different things like this, circumstances like this made me know God was real. When we really, really, really needed him, you know, it's not always that he would come through with the prayers. But when we really needed him, he would just surprise us with beautiful things. I remember we wasn't getting Christmases for years, for a couple of years. And like, it's like it was in my heart and I wanted a Christmas so bad. But I didn't know who to ask. We didn't have nobody who was who would have been able to afford a Christmas for me, my mother and her five kids. So I just knew we wasn't going to have a Christmas and then. I would meet this girl. I didn't even have friends or really make friends. I never was the type to keep friends, really. And I met this girl, and she told her mom about my circumstances. Randomly, I just felt like telling her. And it's amazing because Satan that day was telling me, shut up, don't tell your business. And I just told her anyway, so I'm like, I trust her. Or, like, I just I just feel like talking to her, and I told her. And she went home and told her mother and their entire church got a whole entire Christmas gift basket together for us. We didn't even have food to eat for Christmas. We was doing that bad. We had to be stuffed into my aunt's two bedroom apartment. All six of us. Well, all five of us, excuse me, at the time. So when God used to just do stuff like that, and I just used to be blessed so abundantly like that, I just knew it was God. One day, I never used to win anything, but one day, we was called down to the cafeteria for a for a um a of uh, some sort of like I don't know what to call it, but just a meeting. I'll just say like a school meeting, and we all went and sat down in our chairs, and it was time for another class to come fill up the rest of the row. And one more girl came down the aisle. She like, and everybody was like, "Scoot over, you know, make make room for this one last girl." And we scooted we scooted over one more seat to the right. And then she's like, "Everybody check up under their seat to see what you if you won the ticket." And right up under my seat was a ticket. If we did not scoot over that one seat to the right, I wouldn't have won nothing. It would have been the other girl's prize. It would have been a girl next to me prize. I was so amazed by that. I knew it had to be God. 
I took the ticket to the front office and I got a pie. And I was like, we never win nothing. And, like, we just didn't always have food. We just always didn't have it. So it was just beautiful. But different experiences like this just made me know that God is real. Different stuff like this. But never stuff like curing blindness or walking on water or turning water into wine or clearing skin disease, cancer, different stuff like that. I used to, you know, wonder, like, why stuff like that didn't happen in my life and why miracles like that couldn't happen. Like, the Bible says that God can do anything. Anything is possible in God. He can make anything happen for you. So why my prayers aren't being answered? Why these things I never see in in real life, you know? You will see the Peter Popoff, you know, video advertisements or whatever, but you never took well, I never took those things really seriously. I wanted to believe that he was really healing people. But you always hear the stories about how they were being paid in the audience to come up and say that, you know, they were being healed of blindness or, excuse me, cancer or that they had just come into $30,000 after they got his magic holy water. Sometimes I feel like never came in the mail. So... It just felt like a lot of it was a gimmicky and and a lot of people make you believe that it was gimmicky and you just, you know, start to lose hope because you don't see big miracles like that. But I still believed in God. I just didn't never believe that I would ever see a miracle like that. But I would never stop praying. I would never lose hope. And that's what it's about. Even if you lose a little faith and you don't have enough trust, just never stop hoping that it can possibly happen. What could go wrong? We're hoping that you can have something. Yes, he's going to require a little bit more faith from you. Faith is how a mustard seed moves mountains. But what can hurt you by hoping, just hoping that things will change for you? So that's what got me here. And now I'm seeing God work wonders. He's a miracle, wonder-working God. He's doing everything I ever prayed for all at once. He's making it all happen right now before my very eyes. And I cannot believe that I'm worthy of being a part of what God is doing right now. And just so baffled, so baffled and so in love with God, so in love with him, his truth and his coming through and his, you know, his wonderful, lavish way of showing his power and proving it. Even though I have to show up and I have to act like it. I have to mean it. I have to become this person and stop making these same mistakes and backsliding as if I haven't seen these miracles that God has shown me. After after God delivered my sister of a demon that meant to take her life. And three days before she had her first daughter. And, you know, anointed, I believe my niece, you know, saved both of their lives and one and one and my mother's life and my own. And one sitting six hours on my knees praying, but just one sitting, that's still nothing compared to having getting your sister and your niece and your mother's life back and your own life back and your destiny. in one day it it felt so life changing and it took a strength I never knew that I had. And it was scary to think that I could lose my family to Satan. 
you know, and everything I gone I had gone through for a whole year of being tortured, actually, because if you want to consider the whole entire year before that. But in six hours, he delivered my sister of this demon. But I had never seen things like this happen and manifest like this before in my life. And when God showed up like this, it was just beautiful. And I've just been in love with God since. But he told me on that day. It, it breaks my heart to think that you could learn this much and see all of this for me, but still go back to all of the things that I'm delivering you from and exposing to you today. And when God said that to me, I said, God, how could I ever go back to all the things you have delivered me from today after what you have just shown me? Like I saw holes in my hand. I heard Jesus's voice in my voice. I saw a light shine out of my heart that encamped my entire body and melted Satan to the ground. I heard Satan melting and screaming and, you know, crying out, no, like real deep voice, demonic, like just the most heinous things you ever heard in your life. You think you hear the worst things out of people's mouth in your life. You would never hear nothing worse than what Satan has to say about you. And hearing God's voice say, I know she will. And this is my chosen vessel. And, you know, I love her, you know, and just vouching for me and freeing me and just delivering my family as well. Answering my prayers, you know, showing up when I really needed him and proving his power and that he is real in front of everybody who mocked him for an entire year. After that. You know, I'm like, how could I ever go back to things before? He told me that I don't need money, that live a poor life. I will be so much better off when I get to heaven eventually. And don't ever touch my hair again. Do not go putting weave in your hair, dyeing your hair any type of color. Don't even barely comb it. Don't use these shampoo, shampoos and these conditioners here on earth because they are, you know, filled with chemicals that are not good for you. Start taking better care of your body. Your body is your temple. You know, you don't need hospitals. If you truly trust in God and you put all your truth, all your trust and faith in God 100% and you allow him to guide you on what to put in your body, when to fast, when to pray, you know, where to be, where not to be, what to do and what not to do, you will not ever need a hospital. He is your physician. Jesus truly is a healer. And after seeing what I've seen, you cannot convince me differently. After what I had seen, I just knew that he could heal cancer if he wanted to. He could do all these things, but it still makes you question why. But it also makes you understand how blessed you are to be chosen. Because there's so many people out here who are in desperate need of Jesus' healing. But they are not necessarily chosen. But I also want to reassure anyone listening that... You can be a chosen vessel. All you have to do is pick up the Bible and believe it. And just do not ever think that you're fooling God into believing or making you be- making him believe that you believe something that you don't. You really have to believe it. God knows your heart. God knows everything. He is real. He is not a joke. This is not for play. So you have to truly mean this and truly want to change and truly believe that you can be changing God's word. And if you believe it, others will too. 
they will look at your life as a living testimony and there's no way that they can deny God after seeing you willing to die for him because you have to be willing to die for him. In the Bible in Revelation, it says the angels fought Satan out of heaven and they loved not their life, not until death, which means they were willing to die for God. They love their lives and they love to, they love living, but they didn't, they love God more. They, they believe God more. They believe God's promises more and fighting for God or dying for God is worth dying for. It's worth dying. So yes, angels can die, but, and that's a whole nother conversation now that I think about it, because it's like angels are up there already and they are just right above Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And they've been there since, you know, before the stars were formed in the sky, just like Jesus was there before the stars were formed in the sky, before God formed the world. Jesus was right there with God. So was the Holy Spirit. So was the angels. But they are God's first creation, or at least before human. I don't want to say first creation. Like, I know that for a fact. I want to make sure. But they are God's creation before human, except they are servants to man and servants to God. And yes, they can die. So when they die, where do angels go? Do they go back in the sky as stars? Or, like, what happens? You know, because we know we hear about the third of angels that were turned against God and they fell down to hell. And that's where they are at. But what about the angels that die for God? You know, like the angels who possibly could have died in battle fighting Satan. And those third of the angels that were turned against God, where do they go? Where do their spirits go? So that's a great question. I'm sure the Bible is, you know, the answer is there. I'm still learning and studying. I have so much time to make up for. My whole life, I wanted to be able to quote scripture like the back of my hand and back up different things in this world and in life by scripture. But I didn't study I didn't take it seriously enough and I didn't I drifted away from it and so I don't have to make up for those years but God is restoring it feels like 10 plus years in a couple years for me he is such a blessing so I'm so happy about that you know I'm shook like I'm I'm woke you know and for Jesus to show up and to show me that I had never truly accepted him into my heart. And what that takes is, is seeing your brother, seeing your sister that you see out every day. Maybe your coworker, maybe your delivery driver, maybe your, you know, local mailman or your teacher or your, you know, colleague at school. If that person died in front of you. If you lost that person in real life, if they were dead, if they were killed, and you had to mourn their death, you have the memories of them kicking it with you, having drinks, you know, or just hanging out, you have that memory. You you remember what it's like to be able to wrap your arm around them or to hug them and say hi or, you know, high five, whatever. You have memories of conversations. You know what that's like. You know what that love feels like. And then to lose them, you know what that pain feels like. To know that you'll never have them again. To know that they were truly, you know, their life is truly gone forever. That's how you need to see Jesus. That's how you need to believe that he is real. 
Because at the end of the day, that's how Jesus is. He is everybody's brother. He's everybody's brother, everybody's Lord, and everybody's Savior. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you could truly just understand what it's like to lose a brother, then you understand what it's like to lose Jesus. You have to believe in him like that. You have to believe in Jesus like you have seen him and you can reach out and touch him because he is that real. And then you, it's not just enough for you to believe that Jesus lived and died. You have to believe that he lived and died for us, innocently, sinless, and on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It's not enough for you to just believe that he was a, you know, an average, everyday man who lived just like your brother. You have to understand he was the son of God sent from heaven, half man, half God, actually born to a virgin by God sent by an angel and actually able to turn water into wine and to walk on water and to heal skin diseases and to, you know, bring people back from the dead. And you have to believe that he never committed a sin in his life. He was 100% innocent and he was dying for each and every single last person that had lived before him and that would ever have lived after him and for their sin so that they can be forgiven. He was the future. He is our future. He still is alive and well and rose three days later. You have to believe this stuff. You have to know that this is real. You have to believe it. I had been told that ever since I was young, Jesus, you know, he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose three days later, and that's Easter. And, you know, he was nailed through his hands and his feet, and he was killed as an innocent, sinless man for the forgiveness of our sins. He was the son of God, born to a virgin, and he was only 33 years old. And the very people that he died for are the very people that killed him. He died for the love of us. He was that sacrificial. He paid the ultimate price for us. And I've been just knowing this my whole life and not feeling as if I believe that. But when Jesus truly, as I'm worshiping and praying to God, and Jesus shows up to me, and I have to repeat over and over again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So that whosoever may believe it, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal everlasting life. As I'm repeating John 3.16 over and over and over and over again. In God's name. You know. Beckoning him. Calling to him. He called it a beautiful beckon. And then he shows up right next to me. And chains fall off of my heart. And I finally accept Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I see grown men cry because they were there. Spiritually, they were there. Chains fell off their hearts too. And I said, I never truly accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. But I finally have. I know that he's real. And I know the difference now. The difference is actually understanding like you could reach out and touch Jesus because he is alive and well like that. The difference is understanding that he really truly made the ultimate sacrifice for each and every single last one of us because that's how much he loves us. 
the difference is how big that is, how revolutionary Jesus is and was. And living like it every single day. Talk to him every morning. Know that he's talking back. Choose him over everything. Know that, you know, he sees you. Love him. Teach everyone. Try and get everybody to it. You know, at the end of the day, everybody try to try to discredit Jesus' existence, his birth and his death and his resurrection. But they could the reason a lot of a lot of times, it's not the only reason, but oftentimes the biggest reason that people would take a step back and really start to consider whether Jesus was real or not was because of his disciples. The fact that they were willing to die the same way. The fact that they were willing to die about Jesus. They were stoned. They were locked up. They were, you know, their lives were threatened. They were kicked out of multiple cities and they they fought every single day from start to finish to spread the gospel and to to change and to get people over to Jesus. And just by this testimony alone, just by people seeing this with their very eyes, it was a testament to how real Jesus is. If someone says, comes to me and says to me that there was a man who was half man, half God, son of God, born to a virgin, but he died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins and resurrected three days later. And now I'm going to tell everybody about it and I'll be willing to die about that. And I say, but you've never seen him. You've never met him. His disciples have. But there are people who have never met him and are still willing to die by him every day. You never met him? Nope. You never seen these things, these things for yourself? Nope. But you know that he is real? Yep. Even if I'm skeptical, you know, why so many people are willing to die for him? Why so many people are taking him so seriously? Is Are we all just on the same level of crazy? Could we all possibly, you know, be that led astray? Some people would like to believe that we are. But the fact of the matter is, you know, it's a lot of different religions out here. And oftentimes you do not find a lot of people willing to die about those religions. Really willing to lay down their life and be as dedicated to Jesus Excuse me, is dedicated to their religion as a lot of people, a lot of us are dedicated to Jesus after experiencing his moves, after experiencing his miracles. And I'm changed forever. I can never go back. I'm confidently saying never because never only exists in God. And I can never go back to who I was. I'm transformed forever. Things will never be the same. I've seen him. He looks like every man to have ever existed. He's beautiful. And he's touched my heart. He's broken chains off of it. And ever since, he's been breaking chains off of everything else. Off of my mind. Off of my hands. Off of my feet. And off of my body. We are in chains. We don't think that we are. But we are. And heaven is a real place. And God says that rapture is going to happen in my lifetime. And even though it feels as if he's given me 31 years of purpose. And shown me a vision of a future with someone. The fact of the matter is, you know... I know who he is. I believe him. I believe everything he says now because he has never been wrong. He always tells the truth. 
And he didn't have to show me who he was in order for me to still be obligated to have acknowledged his existence because there's so many other real reasons to know who he is, even if you haven't experienced something like that. There's so many other real reasons. I feel that there's nobody in this world that hasn't had a real reason to know that God is real. But the Bible also says that God makes itself known to everybody. So there's no excuse. That being said, I'm going to fight like I believe that. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm not perfect. I'm only human. And so when when I'm fighting these battles every day, it's hard, it's heavy. But Jesus is fighting for me. He's doing all the work. I look back on all all this he's required for me. It feels like my body's drained. It feels like I'm tired. It feels like I can't do it. But looking back, Jesus did it all. He lifted my body. He gets me up every day. He got me on my knees. He brought me to the place that I'm at. He is my living testimony. Jesus did everything for me. Everything. He does it all. All glory, honor, and power does belong to God. He is worthy. And only he could touch people's heart like this. After what I've experienced and what I've gone through, people who are willing to go to such great lengths in order to hurt you or just to get ahead by by some way or form not never you know afraid of consequences or reaping them and God touching their heart like this the way that he has transformed all these different people around me it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful and only he can penetrate like that only he can penetrate your heart like that God penetrates any and every heart He is capable of working through anything. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. So after everything that I've been experiencing lately, I know that he is real. I'm doing everything in my power to save all the children I could possibly reach in this, in this, in the process. Because I'm still in this situation. That's obviously for a reason. But also to, you know, spread the gospel to adults, to everyone I could possibly get through to. The reason why my target is children, because I believe that they are still pure and innocent. They are still not held accountable for their sin before they're 13 years old. And so that means that if you get the word of God in them right now, they will be trained up. By the time they're 13, they can start making decisions and consciously choosing for themselves, but you're giving them that option so that they don't go ahead and make same, the same ignorant mistakes that I've made, that my people have made, people around me have made the examples that we have and don't have a chance because no one ever taught them what the right thing to do. At least give them the chance to choose for themselves. And the only way to give them that chance is to introduce this to them now and let them choose and think for themselves. Because God is the only one capable of protecting us in any and all situations. We cannot handle it all. No matter who you think you are, Superman or whatever, you can't do it all alone. And God will cover everything. And if you want to do so much, everything else. So, yes, it's so important. And so I've been fighting very hard for the children. Like each and every single last one of them is my own. And I don't care who or what anybody says, you know, I don't want to be all big and bad like you have to go through me. But I'm just going to be as innovative, as creative, as diligent and vigilant and attentive and on it and, you know, 
as persistent as I can possibly be for these children because I believe this. And when people see that you are that way about this because you believe it, they will be that way too. They will start to help you. You will get help. You'll get support. Because people will see you as a great example. And they'll want their children to do that and be that too. So this is what I'm seeing. And this is what, you know, God has blessed me with. And he tells me to thank him because this is everything to be grateful for.